Okay, scripture reading for today is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your God who is in heaven. The grass withers the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm not going to sit down after I do scripture reading. I'm actually going to give a sermon. So, I uh, just wanted to take this time to welcome... Uh, Sam, who was friends with Han, if you could raise your hand, brother, so that we can uh, welcome you to the sanctuary. Are you? Oh, right there. Okay, awesome. Great. Great. All right. It is, as always, a privilege and an honor to be able to share with you God's word. Uh, it's. I'm always just amazed that they let me come up here to do this. I'm still in training. I'm still interning. So I'm still growing and maturing as I'm, you know, doing this thing called preaching God's word. Uh, I thank you for praying for me. I recently just came back from a youth group retreat where I was serving with Pilgrim Baptist Church, which is right across the street, uh, along with an assortment of other churches. Uh, There was around 30 youth students in that area. So uh, it was a really blessed time, great time to have uh, fellowship with other pastors, ministers who are faithfully working uh, in our area. So thank you for praying for me. Uh, if we could actually just jump right in to our passage. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is preaching. He's giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. And here we reach this juncture in our passage this morning where Jesus explicitly says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And interestingly enough, he gives us two illustrations for if the church is not carrying out its mission, salt has lost its flavor, and light is hidden under a basket. Now, you and I know these are obviously things that not ought to be done, But the situation is that in our day and in our culture among churches, they have lost sight of the mission. And what is the mission? It is so that the world would see our good works and give glory to our God who is in heaven. The title of today's word is Salt and Light, the missional church. If you could pray with me. Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing all around the world, even as we speak, and we join in fellowship with all the believers. We take this time to also pray for Pastor Sam, as he is speaking at Chesterbrook Taiwanese Presbyterian Church. Won't you open up the minds and the hearts of those who are receiving your word this morning? And won't he speak with boldness and conviction and faithfully present the scripture? I pray for myself as you're just your humble servant. I know I have many flaws, 
and many things I still need to work out in my life. But I thank you that even during this time, you are speaking to me as well. Help me to faithfully preach your word to your congregation. Help us to come with open ears, open hearts to receive, and ultimately to act upon what we hear this morning. So I thank you for uh, always being just so faithful to us, even though we've been unfaithful to you. Thank you for this time. We pray this on your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so eight to nine months ago, December of 2021, right? Can you, if you can believe it, it's almost the end of 2022. Time just flies, right? It just goes by like that. But if you can backtrack with me to December of 2021, our church annually sets up decorations, right? During the Christmas time, we get very seasonal. So I volunteered thinking, you know, it's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of volunteers, and there were a lot of volunteers. And so we set things up. We set up this tree. We set up decorations all around. It was great. We were enjoying fellowship. It was very easy, right? Until we were tasked with one thing, one job to, if you go right outside that foyer and you look outside the stairs, you'll notice that there are four very tall columns that hold our second story together. Four very tall columns. And one of our responsibilities was that we had to put up garlands on those four columns. So you know what we did? Took a few guys, strong men. We went over to the KM garage, and we didn't get a ladder. We got the ladder. This thing was huge. Four of us needed to carry it, right? So we're going. We set it down at the base of those stairs. And David Ree looks at everybody and says, okay, so who's going to go up? Right? And then we're all like, like, time passes. And then on the outside, I just go, I'll do it. I'll take the challenge. I'm going to go up that ladder. Right? But little did they know, on the inside, I'm going, no, I don't like heights at all. Right? But I feel this sense of responsibility. So I'm, I'm saying to these guys, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go up. So I'm going up, and it's starting to shake as it gets higher and higher and higher. And the entire time as I'm going up, I'm just thinking in my mind, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down. And just out of pure curiosity, right, I look down. And then I just see how far I am from the ground. And what's going through my mind is if I fall and I die, it's hello, Jesus, right? Just like that. But what encouraged me was I looked down and I saw my brothers who were holding me up by that ladder. And they were like, right? (laughs) Reality-wise, they were just saying, I'm so glad I'm not where you are right now. And I'm firmly planted on the ground. So I finish. I I come down and I say, it is finished. It is done. I'm good. And then they look at me and they're like, we have three more columns to go. And I'm like, oh. So I go up. I don't even know when this started to happen, but I just started singing worship songs, right? I started singing worship song by Matt Redmond. Oh, no, you never let go. Through the calm, through the storm. Oh, no, you never let go in every high and in every low, right? I, I finished putting up those things. I had like a staple gun. I stapled that thing maybe 50 times as I was up there to make sure I didn't have to go back up again. I came down. 
And then I looked at those columns, I looked at those lights, I looked at that church, and I said, this is going to preach one day. So here it is. I was putting up lights on a church on a hill. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. But would you like the most, would you like to know the most unfortunate part, portion of this story? These lights were not even going to be lit up. They were not even going to be attached to an outlet. So I was putting up lights that were not even going to be lit up. What was the point of all this? Why was I risking my life for decorative purposes? And I want to tell you what a sad thing it is to have lights up on a hill with no intent of being lit up. What a sad thing it is to look like a church on the outside, but on the inside have no intent of living out their mission. Houston, we have a problem. Salt has lost its taste, and a light is hidden in their basket. We have been detached from our power source, and that is understanding our clear mission. And here's the main idea for the word today is that the mission of the church is so that the world may see our good works and give glory to our God who is in heaven. I have two points for you this morning. It is that the church shapes our worldview for missions. And the second is that the church's good works are meant to give God his glory. So this first point, the church shapes our worldview for missions. You know, an aspect of worldview is, you know, what's going on globally, geopolitically. But what I want to speak specifically is that worldview means all of redemptive history biblically. So from the beginning of time until the end of time, God will bring in his sovereignty all things under him. Every language, every tribe, every people, every nation. And he will use the means of the preaching of the gospel to bring it about. Hint, this is what good works are. He will do this, right? And he uses us. If you notice in our passage, he doesn't say, you know, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And then when you've done enough, you will be salt, you will be light. He flips the script. He says our identity first. He says, you are salt, you are light, therefore do. The indicative comes before the imperative. And so I'm here to tell you and to myself that every church is missional. Every church and every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian. But it is a whole other thing to ask whether we are actually living out of our identity. And then we'll get to that in a bit. But you see, God is sovereign. He will bring all things under him. He was destined and designed to bring all things by this free will and determined those whom he has chosen before the foundations of the world to be saved and those whom he will pass over in righteous judgment. 
I've had a lot of recent incidents where I've had to teach this. And the question that I'm usually met with is, man, if God determines everything, why would I even need to do anything? Right? And so the thing is, right, if, if you wanted to ask me afterwards for service, I can give you a more detailed, lengthy answer to that question. But I'm going to answer that question from what I'm usually commonly met with. And that is somebody who asks, why do missions if God is sovereign? I don't think they're framing that question accurately. Because, sorry to be very straightforward, that question usually comes when you're not reading your Bible. Because that question is masked and disguised in asking, Pastor Andrew, what is the least amount of work that I can do that I can get away with? If God is sovereign, if he's doing all these things, why would I even need to do anything? So it is theologically incorrect to say that God needs you. God actually doesn't need you. There's a lyrics to a very popular song, He Didn't Want Heaven Without Us. Inaccurate. He was perfectly fine without us in heaven. He doesn't need us. So it is theologically correct to say God does not need you. God does not need us to do his will. So many people ask, if he doesn't need us, then why do good works? And to that I would say, well, you know, he also, he didn't need you to save you from your sin. But he did. And he did it all by his own power. He didn't need you. And I'm reminded of that as I willingly, gladly accept the benefits of the call of my salvation. But many times I push aside the responsibility that also comes with that call. The appropriate question is not why do missions if God is sovereign. The appropriate question is why would I not want to do missions if God is sovereign? Before the foundations of the world, he has come and he has chosen us as his instruments to bring those who are lost, whom he has chosen, back into his embrace. I can't think of a greater mission than that. Evangelism is the means to which God brings his people to him. If you wanted a scriptural reference for this, Romans 9 is very, very helpful. John Piper says in in view of Romans 9, it reminds me that evangelism is absolutely essential for the people to come to Christ and be saved. And that there is great hope for success in leading people to faith. But that conversion is not finally dependent on me or on the hardness of the unbeliever. We have this grand scheme, this God's eye view of things. And some of these things that we, don't, we won't fully ever know, and we don't have a right to know. It is our responsibility to carry out what he has clearly given us in Scripture. Therefore, you and I are heavily invested in what is going on in our world today. To not only be senders to our missionaries, but goers, because you better believe it gets lonely out there in the missions field. 
When we make a two-week-out trip to visit them, it encourages them to spur on and do another 10 years of ministry to offer encouragement. This morning, James and Shine actually gave us a word. We have gone to the Philippines as of recently. They said, dear friends, greetings from the Philippines. Since arriving in the Philippines on July 24th, we have been adjusting well to the life in the missions field. It feels as if we have been here for months because so much has already happened. The past 21 days have been filled with many grace stories, tangible expressions of God's faithfulness. And we have been shedding tears of overwhelming joy on a daily basis because of God's meticulous care and his abundant provision. Waymaker has been our go-to praise song during our family worship. We have been singing this song nonstop. How can we keep from singing praises to God in light of who he is and what he has already done for us? Wow. I'm hoping we can go on a trip soon. I'm hoping that, and I know we can. When the registration comes out, I hope people are lining up. We had a basketball tournament recently. People were lining up to sign up for that. And you see, the thing that I forgot about is that basketball tournament was also a missions trip. We didn't really have to travel that far. It was Centerville, Chantilly area. But do you know how many people were there that were not from our church? It is a ministry opportunity. I forgot that somewhere along the way. So we have this perspective, this grand perspective. And now we have this ground-level perspective. And we have to ask ourselves, are we good neighbors? Are we good neighbors? If you ask your friends, family members, co-workers, those who go, you go to school with, if, if they ask them, is this person a Christian, what would they say? Would they say, oh, actually, you know, I, I didn't have any idea that they were. The majority of Christians actually hide the fact that they're Christians because they want to stay safe. They want to protect their own. They want to live a comfortable, convenient life. And I get it. I get it. But I hope to answer to you and give you two helpful reminders for how we are to be good neighbors. And it is that character matters and priorities matter. Character, it absolutely matters. So as I mentioned before, we had a tournament, basketball tournament recently. And we had this non-member come and join us. And uh, he was asking around, you know, getting a feel for how this tournament is. And then he came around to asking me, and he said, um, I've been hearing that this tournament gets pretty competitive. Is this true? And I looked at him, and I said, Brother, I want you to, uh, first of all, no, it's not. But I want you to imagine how competitive it, it is, like, just like right here. This is how competitive. This is what you have in your mind. And I want you to take it up five notches. That is how competitive it is. And he looked at me. He was like, oh, my gosh, that's really competitive. I was like, yeah, 
you better be ready. You better be ready, right? I didn't want to sugarcoat it for him, right? He actually ended up winning. So great. His first tournament, he ends up winning, right? But character matters. So basketball is, is not an end. It is a means to win. It is a tool. It is a ministry opportunity. And very interestingly enough, you can tell some, a lot about somebody's character by how they react after they win or they lose. So this team wins, this championship team wins, right? And, you know, they have every right to uh, bask in the glory of their just victory. And what I noticed in particular was Paul, who was running the events, he said, okay, now we have to clear out, so everybody clean up. And I couldn't help but notice that one of the guys on the championship team, he took a trash can, he was going all around the gym, and he was just picking up trash, and he was putting it in there. And man, that ministered to me, because I looked at him, and I said, that is the heart of a champion. This job is not too low for him. Somewhere along the way, I lost sight of that. Character absolutely matters. And you know what? Priorities matter. So I do this bi-weekly get-together discipleship group with some younger brothers. And one of the first things that I told them was, especially because they're all getting jobs now, they're all getting established in their lives, good-paying jobs. And one thing I wanted to remind them is that, see, that's good. But if you're a Christian... Whatever main job you have from Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, that's your side gig. That's your side hustle. Your main job always is to give glory to God. And everything else falls under that. Whatever job it may be, whatever works it may be. So what are these good works? We get to our second point. The church's good works are meant for his glory. God gives us the indicative. He tells us we are salt of the earth. We are light of the world. And then he gives us the imperative. We are to do these good works. What are good works? Before I want to define that for you, I want to establish to you what it is not. Good works are not just morally good charitable acts. Because those can be done by anybody. Cults. They can do good works. Cults do a lot of charitable acts. Some might even argue cults would evangelize. But they are not preaching the gospel. There is a YouTube sensation that I've come across recently. And I say sensation because this, this man gets a hundred Million views a video. His name's Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast, very early on, if you didn't know, is Christian. He would make that very public. He would put banners of scripture verses. He would say that he's Christian when he was unpopular. But now that he's ascended the ranks of fame, he'll blatantly tell you he is not a Christian. But he is still doing very charitable acts. He is giving people tens of thousands of dollars 
with no strings attached. He is giving away cars for a dollar. He is doing all of these videos, and everyone is attracted to what he is doing. But you have to ask yourself, in whose name is he doing it for? For Christ? Not anymore, Mr. Beast. You see, those feelings make us feel a certain way. They have a certain emotional impact when we see charitable acts. But many have hijacked the vehicle of the means of good works for their own sinister evil purposes to take us away from the message of the gospel. It's a sad thing. So when we do good works, what distinguishes it? Well, they give glory to God. How do they give glory to God? We preach the gospel. Good works are exclusively and expressively meant for the glory of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In this grand scheme, you and I have to understand, though, that we are not, I will repeat, we are not saved by works. We are saved by faith. But you better believe we are saved by faith so that we can do good works. A lot of us go through this mental gymnastics, this exercise of trying to convince ourselves that we are saved by faith, but we don't need to do good works. Right? That's what the book of James is for. He says, faith without works is dead. We need to be reminded that we are saved by faith, by grace, and that is the means to do good works. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a great passage to look over. Because what stands out, as I'm reminded, is that he is saying that a Christian, a Christian can be ineffective and unfruitful. To me, that sounds like salt that has lost its flavor. And what is salt? Salt provides seasoning. It provides preservation. It keeps things from decaying. And we, as the salt of the earth, are to keep this world from decaying into corruption. And we, as salt of the earth, are to bring flavor, newness, life to things. Because what is a thing without salt? I love McDonald's. I love their fries. But have you ever had that without salt? It's awful. It's awful, right? Have you ever had a well-done steak without salt and someone puts ketchup on it? We need to pray for those people, right? Oh, gosh. We are meant to be salt. We are meant to bring flavor, newness, life to things. 
The church's good works are meant to do these things, but why is it that most churches seemingly put together on the outside, but on the inside, they have forgotten who they are? We have lost our way. Why is it that oftentimes our Christian walk is without flavor, without light? It's because we have been disconnected from our source of power, from our clear mission. Many times, if you look at the breakdown of my life, I have my priorities, busyness, right? And many times, without me even noticing, I put the gospel's priority on the back burner. It's not all the way at the bottom, but it's somewhere near there. And it's because I have forgotten. I have forgotten the simple truth. And that is that I am not the light. You are not the light. We are not the light. Wait a minute. You've just been saying this whole time how we're, we're actually the light. It says in our passage, actually, that says we're the light. Well, we are not the producers of this, of this light. We are not the source of it. Church, we are the reflection of the light. So what is the light? John chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. And the true light, which came into the world, came to his own creation. And the world did not know him. His own did not recognize him. His own did not receive him. But to all who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And we have seen his glory. Glory as from the Son of God, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the light. Maybe you have been going through a season where you have not been doing anything, and it's eating you up, and you're feeling guilty. And I'm here to remind you, you're not measured by your works Christ has already done it. And because you have faith in him, because you are saved by grace, now you can do good works. Because church, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen and will ever see did not go overseas. That distance is way too short. Jesus came from heaven to earth. You know anyone else that can do that? So many other religious leaders are trying to go from earth to heaven. They can't make it. But our God went from heaven to earth. And he has called you and me to be his reflection. Because we are made in the image of God. From the beginning of time when he made all of creation on the seventh day, he looked upon all that he had made. He looked upon man that he has made in his own image. And he looked and he said, what? This is very good. That same good, church, we are meant to flourish out into the world to preach his word. 
Because what really is a world without light? Darkness. Utter darkness. We had a retreat recently uh, for a singles ministry college. And I don't know if you've ever been to a retreat center, but it's usually some very remote place away from civilization, away from lights. So when the lights turn out on the campus, it's dark. You can't see past like your own hands. So one of the nights I remember in particular, our last night, we had a campfire going, and then it got pretty dark, and I couldn't navigate because it was pitch black. But you know what guided me to, to the people? I heard talking, laughing, fellowship, and I saw light. That guided me to my destination. In this dark world, we are meant to be that light, church. We need men and women who are devoted to seeing the God glorified in all things. And we are not meant to make these other matters idols. I say this because, you know, I have relationship with these brothers as I challenge them. But if you're devoting five nights a week, playing basketball, it's a slightly excessive moderation. Five nights a week, those are ministry opportunities. What are we devoting our times to? Hobbies. And I, and I say this to you because I do it too. And I need to be constantly reminded of these things that detract me from my main goal in life. Much work still needs to be done. I served at this retreat with these three small churches all together, 30 youth students. And man, they're just, if you've ever been to a very small church, you understand that there are always like a couple few members who are doing everything. They are doing things that's not even in their role and responsibility to do, but they have to do it because the work needs to be done. So their mindset is oftentimes, it needs to be done, so no one else is going to do it. I have to do it. But when a church gets bigger, when it passes a certain threshold, the mindset of the members may gravitate towards someone else will do it. Someone else has got it. That's not my responsibility. Maybe you've been coming to this church for a long time, and uh, you, you, know, you, you come late, you leave early, and you just want to be a part of service, but outside of that, you don't want to be as involved. Maybe you're a leader, and you're on break, you haven't been serving in a while.
And I, and I lovingly speak to all these circumstances as, as I speak to myself. And, you know, the issue isn't so much that we're, we're not um, incompetent. We are extremely competent. We have some of the most incompetent people in this sanctuary. The issue oftentimes is, you know, where is your heart's priority? It's not that we are incompetent, but sometimes it may be because we don't just care enough. Or our mindset is someone else will do it. So it makes me question, man. It, do they know what they know? Because if they knew what they knew, then they'd do it. But you don't know what you don't know. You know? I don't know. This I encourage you, you know, in saying we, we, there's a lot that we can do. If you just look at your bulletin, we have crates for Ukraine. We have three boxes outside. We still need basic needs, basic meds. Our youth group winter retreat needs counselors always, right? Especially if you've been in youth group before. You know how impactful it is to have an older member be your youth teacher and invest in you. It's a great opportunity to be able to share that with youth kids. And don't limit yourself by saying you're too old to do that. You're not. We have community groups. We, need, we still need hosts. We still need leaders to be part of these things. And I understand it's busy and it's hard. But as I was even talking with some of these pastors at this retreat as we were fellowshipping together. Really, it was just them complaining about how hard it is, how hard their ministry is. But one in particular, he stood out because he said, you know, we're a very small church and the need is huge. We, we don't have a children's minister or a director. We really need one. The man who is currently doing it right now is 85 years old. And I looked at him, I was like, what, what did you say? It's like he's 85 years old, and he's doing children's ministry. He literally has material from the 1980s, and he's saying these kids are getting bored to death because they cannot relate to him, right? But he is faithfully serving at 85 years old. And I looked at that situation. I thought two things. First of all, I'm just, I just felt so, so burdened and so sad that they don't have help outside of him. And the second is... Praise God for this man who is serving faithfully at 85 years old. What excuse do I have saying that I am tired and that I've done enough in my life and I deserve a break from ministry? I come before you and I say, I have not been salt and light. There was a portion deep inside of me when I was asked to do this retreat that said, I don't want to do it. It's not worth my time. So I went begrudgingly, and I saw the students. I saw the leaders faithfully working and serving. And I said, God, I repent of my heart. Why would I not want to do Missions, if you are sovereign. That's when I realized he didn't need me. 
but he still used me. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Amen? I'm hoping we can go on missions again. I'm really hoping so. Early on in my life, from ninth grade to sophomore year of college, I went on a mission trip almost uh, every year. It's not to boast about, like, what I've done in my life, but I, I've gone to New York, Chicago, uh, D.C., Malawi, Africa, Gambia, Africa, and through all of those trips, there's this rigorous training process for six months where we are taught what we are to do, what we are not to do. But once you get off that plane, it's all thrown out the door because anything and everything will go wrong, right? The, the secret to success on a mission trip is be adaptable. That's it, be adaptable. But you come into this mindset where, you know, I'm learning all of this material, all the things that I need to do for six months, and I can't wait to teach these people about Jesus. And always, without fail, when I come back from my trip, I realize they taught me twice as much as I might have taught them. Twice as much. And one of the clearest examples I saw of this was in a trip where we went to Gambia, Africa. And if you didn't know, it's very hard to get to places, transportation-wise, overseas. So I was a really young kid at the time, half awake. We, lift, we left at the break of dawn. We left at like 4 a.m., and we take this long van ride, four hours, and we get onto this ferry another five hours, and then we get off and we drive another two hours to this sea. And we get there, and I just have no idea what's going on at the moment. And I see a few people dressed in all white, and I see the missionary, Pastor Han, also dressed in all white. And as I'm there, as I'm looking at them half awake, he looks at them and he says, are you ready? And they're like shaking their heads, yes. And I've never seen a baptism like this, but he, he takes their hands and he starts like swinging their arms like playfully and then they start walking into the seat together and he says, let's go. And as they're walking into the seat, they're singing together, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And then they disappear for a couple seconds, and then I see them reappear forever changed. That was a great work I saw God do in my life that is seared into my heart. And we, in turn, are called to do good works for his glory. Because we, church, are salt and light. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of all of our inadequacies and our flaws, we come before you humbly and repent. Repent that we have been lacking. Repent that we have been disconnected. But once you reattach us to our clear main goal, 
and to fix our eyes upon the true light, which is the light of the world, a light that is in the midst of such darkness in our culture and in our day. Remind us that we are your church and that throughout our week, through all the things that we do, through all of our words and our actions, that we would give you glory because you deserve it, because you are sovereign, and you have included us in this great work. Help us to respond this morning to the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, with praise and worship. So I'll stand.